Hooter Nation, Longhorn fans, welcome to episode 87 of the Boomer Bebo podcast, the only podcast exclusively dedicated to covering the greatest rivalry in college football, the University of Texas, and the University of Oklahoma. I'm here with my man, Kevin Miller. I am John Whitson. Kevin, I have a metaphor for you to describe how this Oklahoma football season has gone so far. Are you okay, ready let's hear for it. this? Are you ready for this metaphor? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. My daughter, Marjorie, uh, goes to Longfellow Middle School in Norman. By the way, they played basketball this evening and got the ever-loving crap beat out of them. If a team could have scored negative points, Marjorie's team would have scored negative points. That's not the metaphor. That's not how bad I feel about the team. Anyway, she goes to – I digress. She goes to Longfellow Middle School, okay? I get a phone call at 4.30 yesterday afternoon. Mr. Whitson. Are you Marjorie's dad? Yes, I'm Marjorie's dad. Marjorie has won courtside tickets to the Thunder game. And I'm like, really? Some sort of fundraising deal. I'm like, oh, well, that's pretty cool. I'm like, are you serious? Courtside tickets? And she says, oh, yes, courtside tickets. It's amazing. And I'm like, wow, that does sound amazing. I've never sat courtside. Now, Kevin, I was at the Thunder game on Monday night. You were there, too. Was do you remember who was sitting courtside? Yes, I do. You want me to tell him? Or you want to tell him? No, go ahead. Yeah, Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker is sitting courtside. My first thought is, what if I'm sitting next to Chris Tucker? Like, this is literally what's going through my head. This is amazing. Those tickets are super expensive, even for the Cavaliers. They're just they're really expensive. I'm thinking this is one of the greatest things ever. So we. Oh, my gosh, dude. She's in basketball practice. I got another kid that has a game up up in Edmond. We are running around trying to get out of work, the whole deal, whatever. I'm like, but this is courtside. I got to make this happen. The excitement level, Kevin, was through the roof. We had won the lottery. This could not be more exciting. And so I get to school. I pick her up from basketball practice. We're driving down there. We're, we're hustling down to the state, to the uh, PACOM. We're, we're really excited. We get there, and I'm like, hey, let, you got the tickets, right? She's like, yep, I got the tickets. She gives me the tickets. I look at the tickets, and I say, these aren't courtside. Not these, are, these are lower bowl. Row U, Kevin. U as in umbrella. Now. And just to be clear, it starts at A and then goes up, right? That's correct. A, A. B, C, D, all the way on the lower bowl ends with you. So it's the last row in the lower bowl. Um, and we get into there, and sure enough, that's where our seats were. And here's the thing, Kevin, they're perfectly good seats. They're perfectly yeah. good seats. You appreciated, My daughter, you appreciated the tickets. I appreciated the tickets. We had a very nice time. The Thunder are a great team to go watch in person. They're so much fun. Shea went for like 43 last night, and he got robbed on some. He was, it was fantastic. But here's the thing, Kevin. If you think it's going to be courtside and it's 39 rows up, you don't feel as good as you did when it was courtside, right? It's all a matter of expectations. Yeah. 
So when Dylan Gabriel, with a minute 17 and no timeouts in the Cotton Bowl, marches your team all the way down against the University of Texas, and on the last play of the game throws a touchdown to Nick Anderson to win the Cotton Bowl Red River shootout, you say to yourself, we just got courtside season tickets to the national championship. And the last two weeks have said, and the last two weeks have shown me that we are not courtside. We are instead row you still pretty good seats. Happy to be at the game. Happy to be seven and two, but it's not courtside tickets. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Right. I think before the season, somebody would have said, Hey John, you guys at this point are going to have two losses. I'm like, okay. Right. But you're still in the mix for the conference. In the mix. Yep. Right. You would have been like, okay. But yeah. when you start off like that and you beat Texas, like you said, in dramatic fashion, it just seemed like you guys were thinking playoff. Yes, they get national championship. So to have those two losses, I get why you feel that way. Um, and now here's the thing, right? As we look at Oklahoma's schedule, you look at the University of Texas, Texas has everything in front of them. Okay. You suffer the one loss, the one loss, uh, you know, with Oklahoma, which is never a bad loss under any circumstances. I mean, Oklahoma made it to a playoff against uh, with a loss with Texas with a losing record in 2015. It's never a bad loss uh, to lose to either Oklahoma or Texas in the, in the Cotton Bowl. So, so you've got everything in front of you. You're playing for a national championship. Oklahoma, on the other hand, is playing to finish off year two of the Brent Venables regime, right? We, we are playing to put ourselves in a position to continue to recruit, to continue to build momentum, to continue to be ready to roll when the SEC hits next year. Unfortunately, it's taken us two weeks to get into that mindset, right? Because for the last two weeks, we've just been in a in a fog, in a haze of defeat and disgust. Um, but when you take a step back, we now play a West Virginia team who's a pretty good team. They're yeah, pretty good, team. good. They're not great. This is at home. It's not on the road. Oklahoma State and Kansas were both on the road. It's at home. Pretty good team. I think we have an opportunity to bounce back. To go eight and two, put us ourselves in a position to win the last two games. Ten and two in the regular season, Kevin, for the Oklahoma Sooners. It's I don't know that you can ask for more than that coming off a six and seven season. No, it's still a rebuilding process, right? And I, I think you guys are used to winning, right? You're spoiled off success for really for throughout your your history as a program, but especially since Bob Stoops has got there, right? You guys are used to winning football games. You guys are used to winning Big 12 championships. So, you know, you see the 6-7 and team was just a blip. So, of course, when you beat Texas, there's no reason for you not to think that you could legitimately win the national championship this year. I'm I'm curious. I know we talked about this before the season, but when we did our preview, where did you have OU finishing the season as far as um, rookie goes? I know I have it somewhere. I'm going I'm to see if I can find it. That's a great question. Because I know yeah. I had you guys. You guys are right where I picked you to be at this point in the season. I had you going 9-3 and three overall, but at this point I had you at with two losses. I just had you with a loss to Texas and then actually losing that Oklahoma State game because the whole it will be their Super Bowl uh, 
mindset? Yeah, I I think I might have had us at two losses. I think I had losing to Texas and one other stupid loss. Okay. Didn't you did pick you, the Kansas loss before the season? I think I did, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, for me, if you look at it, it's a process, right? You know, like with Bob Stoops winning the national championship in his second year, that's not normal. Right? No. That's that 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 just doesn't happen. Right. So I think people have to understand that, that what you guys are happening, the way you guys look now is really good given what happened last year. And when you're talking about a rebuild compared to, you know, where the roster was when Lincoln Riley left to where you are now, I think logically you have to feel pretty good about it. It's just a little disappointing given where it looked like can go after the uh after the Red River shootout. So I, I got it. I'm looking at it here, your predictions. And you had, um, you actually had OU losing to Texas and to Kansas. And those are the only losses you had the entire season. So you had you guys, you had OU finishing 10 and 2. I had 9 and 3 losses to Texas, Oklahoma State, and then to TCU. TCU's obviously been a little bit worse than we all expected them to be. But that's what I had before the season. Yeah, it, again, it's all about a perception. You know, it's all about perception. It's about expectations. This is where we're at now. Um, realistically, before the game, we now know if we can get to 10-2, and two, we're, I think it's safe to say we're on schedule. We are on schedule if we get to 10-2. and two. Yeah, I mean, I, you're on even ahead of schedule. I mean, 10-2 and two in your second year after a 6-7 and seven season, four, four more wins. And with including a win over your biggest rival, I mean that, that's for me. Look, if Texas would have gone ten and two in Sark's second year, I would have been really excited. When yeah, which are eight last year, eight, eight and four in the regular season, and then lost the bowl game, so eight and five overall. All right. Speaking of Texas, um, you've got a matchup against TCU. My question for you, right off the bat, before we get into the national games. Just a quick question, quick hitter. Two quick questions. I'm sorry, two quick questions. Number one, is Quinn Ewers back? Number two, is this a trap game? You're coming off a really big win against K-State at home in overtime. You knew how important that was to position yourself in the Big 12. Is TCU, they're down, but they're on the road. They're looking forward to their last game against the University of Texas. Is this a trap game, and are you worried about that? Okay, number one, yes, Quinn Ewers is back. Sark had his media availability today, and he announced that Quinn Ewers will be starting the game. So he's been practicing well all week, and he's excited to have him out there, to have him back. And so am I. Uh, Malik Murphy's done a really admirable job coming in and playing in two games, especially that the K-State game, that was a massive game that he played in, right? And he had a couple of mistakes, but overall, he was really good throwing the football. So appreciate him holding down the court, but we're excited to have Quinn back. And to answer your second question, yes, this is absolutely a trap game. TCU, like you said, they've lost a lot of games, but there are games they haven't really been blown out in these games, right? I think they're a pretty decent team. They've got some pretty good players. They lost eight guys to the NFL draft last year. So when you have a new coach, it's kind of like lightning in a bottle last year. Right, a brand new coach with an experienced roster that have lost some games, but you had a lot of talent that had been developed by Gary Patterson and his staff. I think they just needed a fresh 
start. And that's what, exactly what uh, Coach Sunny Dykes gave them last year. They have that dream season, making it all the way to the national championship game. But again, eight players to the NFL. I mean, only Georgia and Alabama had more guys drafted last year. That's, I know. It's a crazy stat, isn't it? It's a crazy stat yeah. that happened at TCU. Yeah. So, yeah, they're, we talk about this every week, right? And this conference, especially this year, we're already everybody's Super Bowl, right? Texas and Oklahoma, but this year especially, right? And the way Oklahoma State played the atmosphere last week, you just saw what it meant to them. And Texas and TCU is not that kind of rivalry, but it's their last shot at us. They have really owned Texas since they've been in the Big 12. So TCU came into the Big 12. So, of course, they're looking to have their one last shot against us. And, of course, it's a night game, right, as you would expect. All our road games seem to be night games. And, yeah, it's going to be a great atmosphere, and it's absolutely a trap game. So we're going to have to play well in order to win. All right. We'll break both of these games down more, but let's take a look around the top 25 in the Big 12 and see what's on tap for this weekend, starting actually with a game that's going on tonight. As we are recording, Virginia is at Louisville. We can't pick this game because it's already going. Last time I checked, Louisville was up seven, but they're a 20-and-a-half-point favorite at home, number 11, Louisville. Uh, big noon kickoff, uh, game of the week in the Big Ten, one of the most pivotal games in the college football playoff, number three, Michigan, at number 10, Penn State. Penn State is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Kevin, if you are a Penn State fan, are you pissed that this is a big noon kickoff game and it's not a night game? in Happy Valley with a whiteout. Now, did you say that Penn State is favored in this game before? Or, do you, or Michigan? Sorry, I, I, I apologize. No, I, okay. No, I wasn't Michigan. sure. I hadn't seen the line. Michigan, so Michigan is favored by four. Michigan is favored by four and a half. Thank you. Good correction. Okay. Michigan no, no, no is, problem. Yeah, Penn State is plus four and a half. This is an intriguing game, right? Because when you look at the two teams, we've seen them both play, you would think that Michigan is significantly better. But I think the line, Vegas is like, well, Michigan hasn't played a good team all year. Literally all season, they haven't played a team that's anywhere close to them. So this is by far the best team that they've been playing, that they've played. So I think that says something, right? If I'm Penn State fan, of course, you want it to be a night out, a night game with one of those whiteouts because when they have those whiteouts, it's one of the best atmospheres in college football. Yeah, like you can put that up against anybody anybody so and it just seems so intimidating to play in so i think they do get off the hook michigan with it being a big new kickoff but yeah i want to see man can penn state do anything offensively right we watched that ohio state game when penn state played at ohio and they could do nothing were they like two of 24 on third down something crazy like that so yeah i'm intrigued to see how they handle playing against Michigan and that good defense. So to be fair to Michigan, they have beat down everybody on their schedule. But Penn State is by far the hardest opponent they've had to date. Am I right? Am I missing anybody? No, you were spot on. Yeah. This is by so, far their toughest opponent so far. So we're we are going to find out if indeed, you know, we talk about Georgia. Georgia was tested last week with Missouri. They met the test, right? They met the test. Um, so this is going to be the meet the test game for Michigan. 
are they indeed who we think they are? We're going to pick this game, so we'll come back to it and we'll answer that question. Bama is at Kentucky. Kentucky is getting 11 points. Um, Bama coming off the big game against LSU. It's going to be really interesting to see how they look against Kentucky on the road. Um, Texas Tech is at Kansas. Kansas is a three and a half point favorite. Arizona at Colorado. Colorado's getting 10 and a half. Uh, uh, this is an intriguing game because this is like a really going to be a really big test for Florida State. But Miami is going to Florida State. Florida State is a 14 point favorite. Does Florida State get tested by the Hurricanes? You know, I think they do, right? It's a rivalry game, but man, Miami's been so up and down. It just seems like week to week, you just have no idea which version of them you're going to get. Their quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke, who I actually like, but he's been injured. It's just been so up and down. But if we get if we get good Miami, Miami at their best, I think they are good enough to test the Florida State. Um, Florida State has, though, passed every test that's been in front of them so far. So I hope it's a good game. Well, I think it's pretty interesting um, for Florida State that they get to host Miami. That's a huge advantage. Um, have Doak Walker just kind of really getting after it. So I think it's really good for Florida State that they're hosting. I don't know that they cover the 14, but I think they go ahead and win the game. Big game in the Pac-12. Number 18, Utah at number five, Washington. Washington is an eight and a half point favorite. Utah blew the doors off of the team they played last week. Were they playing Arizona? Arizona State? Arizona State. Either way, it was a a get-right game for Utah's offense. Now they go up against Washington. Washington coming off the win at USC. Let's face it, though. I don't think Washington – yes, they put up 52 on USC, but everybody's putting up 50 points on USC. So I I, got to tell you, do you, Kevin, believe that Washington can cover this 8.5 comfortably? No, I don't. I don't. I like what I saw from Utah again. Arizona State's horrible. Right. Well, you know, what we said about Utah earlier in the season, about how they kept kind of pushing their luck with their offense. I feel the same way about Washington's defense. Right. They just these games have been really close and give them credit. Right. They keep finding ways to win. But, man, I don't know. You know, they got to get they got to get a little bit better or their luck is going to run out. Um, I think Penix needs to have a pretty good game, too, to get back on the Heisman train. He's not our number one Heisman runner right now, is he? I mean, he could be, but I don't think it's – it seemed like it was him definitively a few weeks ago, and I don't think it's that way now. No. And here's the deal, too. If you would have asked me after they beat Oregon, I would have said Washington should have firmly been in the top four playoff teams. But as the weeks have progressed, uh, the committee has been proven right. They are the least impressive undefeated team left. Certainly seems that way, right? The committee seems to be taking like a wait and see approach on them. I think they're really waiting on that conference championship game because if Oregon gets a rematch with them, I think you would have to think Oregon would be actually the favorite, right? I would. Well, I would favor Oregon, and I would think Oregon would would win the game. I think Oregon looks like the more complete team. They seem to be putting up more points offensively, stopping more point, uh, stopping plays, uh, you know, more plays defensively. Bo Nix seems to be playing out of his mind. 
So, yeah, I mean, I like the direction Oregon's trending. Now, you know, but it's that age-old question. You can't – that doesn't mean you can't unsee what we saw on the field on October 14th, Correct. which was Washington beating them. Fair and square. Um, some of those wounds were, you know, self-inflicted on Oregon's part with Dan Lanning going for two, it seems like. Or, you know, going for it on yeah, fourth I mean, down, it seems like every time they had a chance to. Um, we're going to pick this game right now. It's uh, Washington's eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Tennessee at Missouri. Missouri uh, is getting one and a half at home. So I don't know if they're expecting a letdown after the Georgia game, but a Missouri team who looked, I thought, pretty good against Georgia and has looked pretty good all year is a home dog at Tennessee. If we were picking this game, I would be picking Missouri to cover. Yeah, I think I would too. But, I mean, if you look at the numbers, these are two pretty evenly matched teams, right? And – you know, maybe Missouri, we'll see how they react to that loss, right? I thought they represented themselves well against Georgia, and they made it an interesting game for really, you know, two and a half quarters. Well, that's so, my point, though, right? That's my point, though, right? So if they're an evenly matched teams, they should be getting the benefit of the home field advantage, and it doesn't seem like that line is doing that. Is this a matter of uh, of betters just liking the Tennessee brand over the Missouri band, brand when it comes to football? Perhaps. Perhaps. I mean, I think from what I've seen out of both teams, I think Missouri is a little bit better of a team than Tennessee, but it should be a fun game to watch. I'm looking forward to it. Oklahoma State has to travel to UCF following their big win um, against Oklahoma last week. They're going to be a two and a half point favorite in Orlando. Kevin, Oklahoma State, um, you know, they are playing right now to play you guys in a, in a, in a Big 12 conference championship. They, they along with you guys, are 5-1 and one in the conference. Does UCF pose any problems with them continuing their run towards Arlington? Um, yeah, I think they do. But, again, it just depends on the mindset that Oklahoma State has, right? Do they have that letdown let game? We saw this from Texas after they beat Alabama. We've seen this. After from Oklahoma, after you beat Texas, right? So do they have that letdown game after a huge win, a monumental win for their program? If they're not focused, you know, you can mess around and, and find yourself down to UCF on, and it's on the road too. Well, that's what so, that's what I was going to mention. Is they're not they're not going to get that push from the crowd, right? That you know that kind of that post bedlam bump from the crowd that you would kind of hope for. In fact, they've got to go to a less than raucous place, you know, at UCF. I don't know. I think this is an interesting game for them. You know, for Oklahoma, we're not mathematically eliminated from the big 12. Uh, But the problem is we would need Oklahoma state to lose twice. And I just, that's just not likely. And Texas to lose once. Um, Looking at the schedules, we talked about this in the last episode. I still think, Texas is more likely to lose a game than, you know, Oklahoma State is going in. But yeah, based on the opponents, for sure. For sure. Yeah. They they got, Houston and BYU and Houston. Yeah. Is who Oklahoma all, State has. All new, all new Big 12 opponents. Correct. All new Big Those 12 teams, opponents. Look, they've shown the difference in playing in the group of five and playing in the power five. Right. You have to play, you play good teams every week when you're in the power five. Yeah, so I think they have, they've all had to adjust to that, and they haven't. And you know, dude, they haven't adjusted well. 
Let's put, no, let's just no, be no. let's just be frank. They haven't adjusted well. Uh, no, Baylor's the best, real State. quick. Who's the best out of those teams so far? Do you think it's UCF? Just on the eye test. Yeah, when they're if Plumlee's healthy, yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I thought um, so. I thought their performance against OU was was the best that I've seen out of any of the teams. You know, BYU. I mean, I mean, thirty-five to six, Texas beat them down easily. You know, Cincinnati yeah, just, is not good. I just don't trust BYU at all. Houston has been lackluster, although they've had some spots. You know, they beat. They beat a West Virginia in overtime, but it, we're really talking about who's the shortest, you know, tallest midget in this deal. So, yeah, I'll give it to UCF. I do think UCF – listen, let's not let's not forget that Oklahoma State, which this is as much a knock on Oklahoma losing to them as it is a knock on Oklahoma State. This is a team that lost to South Alabama. Well, they didn't just lose to South Alabama. They got, it was 33-6. to six. Yeah, they got beat down by South Alabama. Beat down. So – so to think that they can't go on the road and lose to a pretty halfway decent to middling UCF team, I mean, they can lose this game. I mean, the line's only two and a half points. I mean, everybody in Vegas thinks they can lose the game too. So it's just, boy, I'd love it. I would love it, but I don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, Baylor at Kansas State. Kansas State's getting 20, or giving 21 and a half. Stanford at number 12, Oregon State. Oregon State's a 20 and a half point favorite. Ole Miss at Georgia. Georgia continues the run of scheduling luck to get to host another ranked team at home. So they got to host Kentucky at home. They've hosted Missouri at home. And now they're hosting number nine Ole Miss at home. The number two Bulldogs are an 11 point favorite. We're going to pick this game. Does Lane Kiffin have any magic left in that little evil brain of his to be able to pull an upset at Georgia? You know, maybe if this game was in Oxford, I might feel a little bit different. It's a huge ask to see them going on the road to Athens and beating this Georgia team. I think he's done a great job. I like their roster. I like their offense. Their defense is actually, I think, a little bit underrated. But, um, man, going into Athens and beating this Georgia team, and you think Georgia will be up for it, right, against Ole Miss? So I don't know. I would love to see it, but I don't think so. Is this the best offense Georgia has played this year? They've played South Carolina, Auburn, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Florida, and Missouri. Is this the best offense they will have played to date? I think so. I mean, the the Missouri offense is really good, too, especially with those receivers. Luther Burden's one of the best in the country. And Ole Miss doesn't have anything like that. But with Missouri, they don't have Quinshawn Jeffins either, right, who's been really banged up, but I think he's finally starting to get healthy. And he's a big-time player at running back. So, yeah, I think I think overall it's the best defense in Georgia's face or best offense Georgia's face. I picked against Georgia last week. We'll have to see if I pick against them this week. Florida at number 19, LSU. Looks like Jalen Daniels will play. LSU is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, Cincinnati in Houston. Houston's a two and a half point favorite. Michigan State at Ohio State. Ohio State's a 31 point favorite, which is just unbelievable. Um, Duke at North Carolina. Uh, I don't know, about a month ago, this sounded like a whole lot better game than it does now. 
North Carolina, number 24, is a 14.5-point favorite. Iowa State at BYU. BYU is an eight-point dog. And finally, in a late-night game, the USC Trojans with new defensive coordinators, Sean Nua and Brian Odom, are going up against number six, Oregon, and Eugene. Eugene is a 15-and-a-half-point favorite. We are not picking this game, but I would take Oregon and the points all day long. Oregon will roll USC. USC doesn't have a chance to stop them. I don't care if they brought brought in Bill Belichick or Buddy Ryan or whoever to run their defense. They don't have the players. They don't have the talent. And they are going up against what could be the hottest team in college football right now in the Oregon Ducks. I agree. I agree. The USC defense, I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll simplify something. I don't know what they'll do. But, man, Oregon is playing really good right now. I would not want to play Oregon at any point this season. I love that when defensive coordinators say they're going to simplify the defense. I love that. It's like a classic line that every it, it's like the it's in the playbook of interim defensive coordinators. We are mm-hmm. going to simplify what we're doing. We're going to get back to basics. We're going to get let these guys think less and play more and be able to read and react and not have to put so much stuff in their head and yada 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 yada. Kevin, if this was truly a uh, uh, you know, a successful strategy. Why isn't every defensive coordinator doing that now? Why aren't all the defenses simple, easy to understand, read and react, play freely, yada, yada, yada. It seems like this is a go-to just verbatim speech that every interim defensive coordinator and incoming defensive coordinator has ever get, has ever given. Is it really a problem that College defenses are simply too hard for the student athletes to understand. And it's not the coach's problem. It's the player's problem for not being smart enough to run it. I think it depends on the each team and those current group of players. Right? Okay, I always feel specific. like your talent. Go ahead. Let's, let's be specific. USC, was the scheme too hard? Was Alex Grinch's scheme an effective scheme, it's- but it was too hard? I mean, his scheme just seems like it's just based on loops and twists and stunts by the defensive linemen and, and, and pressure. So, I don't know. I've never heard anything about his scheme being complex like, you know, Nick Saban's defense is or Kirby Smart's um, defense is where you make one false. Even Venables, right? Like we saw last year, yeah. the defense wasn't good because the players just didn't understand it because it was just more complex than what they had been running before. I don't think that's the issue with USC. I think it just wasn't working for that group of players that they have. And I don't know, man. It was a disaster, whatever it was. Oklahoma fan likes Brian Odom. Brian Odom's got Oklahoma ties even before he coached uh, for us. Even before he coached for Oklahoma, he's got Oklahoma ties. Maybe he was a grad assistant in Oklahoma. I'm not sure. I don't think he went to Oklahoma, but if he did. Is he a Missouri guy? Yeah, I think he's a Missouri guy, but I think he might like been a grad student or something. I know he was he's friends with uh, yeah. Teddy Lehman and that there's some there's some relationships there is my point. So Oklahoma fan likes Brian Odom and to give Brian Odom credit before he left to go to USC. He stayed under Stoops and coached the bowl game, which everybody thought was a stand up move. So everybody likes Brian Odom. So I'm not wishing any ill on Brian Odom. I'm really not. This isn't that's not what I'm saying here. He just got a tough but, job. It's a, it's a tough job for him. He's got a really tough job. And in addition, 
I think that you're about to find out what Oklahoma fan has long suspected, that it's not the defensive coordinator, okay? That it's the the system which Lincoln Riley employs, okay? And the yeah. way he manages his program, it's, it's just not successful. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Now, I don't think we'll have a true answer on that this year. I don't think like, the season's already over. It's pretty much a wash. There's nothing that they can do that can make me feel any worse about their defense than I already do. But we'll see, right? Because I think he has an opportunity here. He can't screw this up. He's got to bring in the right guy. You remember in 2008 when Texas hired Will Muschamp to be their defensive yeah. coordinator? Yes. It completely revitalized the program. I mean, it, it changed the entire culture of the football team. Yes. So I, I think he has an opportunity. If he can bring in the right guy, I don't know who that guy is. So it, it, it's pressure. And I feel like this with coaches, you only get one chance to make wholesale changes on your staff, right? You only get that one chance to say, oh, I got to get a new offensive coordinator or I got to change. You get one shot with that. And then after that, you're the problem. So he's got to get uh, this thing right. Did you see the rumor who, who they want to bring in? I did hear about that. Pete Kwiatkowski, right? Texas defensive coordinator. Is that what you're talking uh, about? Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Now, does Kwiatkowski just... Surely he's getting paid at Texas. How much would he they is. have to un? How much would they have to unload to get him to, from to move from Austin to Southern California? Well, I mean, he is a West Coast guy, right? Most of his career has been at Boise State, Washington. You know, so he's been out west most of his career. But I don't know, man. I, I honestly, I'd be a little bit surprised if he left to be uh, USC's defensive coordinator. I think he likes what he has going here, what he's building here. Defense is playing well. I think they're averaging what's allowing 17 points a game yeah. this year. So I'd be surprised. Well, that, I mean, you're about to go into the SEC, right, and be with the big boys and be on a whole different level of, um, what's the right word, acclaim, right? You're, you, you, the, the acclaim that, that could come from being a Texas defensive coordinator in the SEC is even more than what, you know, you already get as a de- Texas defensive coordinator. So – to take a lateral move at this point with an ascending team just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It, I, I I think that's a little pie in the sky for SC, and yeah. you don't know. Maybe that's just a rumor situation. But but hey, who who, who else this. would you who else would you want to target? Do you have any other ideas? Yeah, I don't. No, I have absolutely no idea. I'm sure there's some young hotshot. Um, who was it? Remember the guy from Wisconsin, Jim Leonard? I think he might be available. Uh, he was not retained by Luke Fickle's staff. Um, at Wisconsin. I know he does okay. a good job with his defenses. I think he's an analyst at Illinois this this season. So he could be a guy he might be interested in bringing in. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's got to he's gotta nail this one. You know, because if he doesn't, everything you're saying is going to be proven to be true. He has this opportunity to completely change this narrative because everybody is thinking that now. You guys were on it early. And half of us, a lot of us thought you guys were haters because in a lot of ways you are haters. We are haters. But you yeah. may have been on to something. I, I think we're on to so. something. I, I, I think the problem is, you know, to use, to use old Barry Switzer, it's the Jimmys and Joes. Um, his recruiting hasn't been good. Lincoln Riley's not had good recruiting at SC. Uh, not, not to the level that everybody expected, number one. For sure. Um, number two, number two, especially in the trenches, no transfer portal wins in the trenches. 
Defensive line, offensive line, whatever the case may be. Except Bear, Bear Alexander was a pretty good pickup for them. But other than okay, that, that's, no. And then number and number three, their strength and conditioning program is terrible. Oklahoma saw that for first first and foremost. That was the, the strength and conditioning program was absolutely god-awful horrible. And it continues to be god-awful horrible at USC. Kevin, you're looking at it. Those USC is more talented than, than – they should be as talented or more talented than every team they play. They don't look that way on the field. They don't. No. All right. No. Enough about USC. All right. Ole Miss plays Georgia. Georgia is giving 11. Georgia is favored by 11. I picked against Georgia last week. I'm picking against Georgia this week. I'm going with Ole Miss to cover the 11. I'm not sure they pull out the win, but I think they cover. You know, I would love to see that. I would love to see a win for Ole Miss. Just because it would just cause more chaos in this whole college football playoff. But I'm not picking against Georgia, man. I think a focus Georgia is dangerous, even for a good Ole Miss team. Yeah, I think they're going to. Yeah, I know. I, part of me, that's part of my heart, but that's okay. Uh, Utah, Washington. Washington, an eight and a half point favorite at home. The last time I picked Utah to cover, uh, they played UCLA. No, not UCLA. They played Oregon, and Oregon beat the living tar out of them. Washington is not Oregon. Utah covers the eight and a half. Washington wins, but Utah covers. That's my second dog on the road. That can't be a good. That's probably okay. not good. Probably you not know, good. and I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, but I think Washington is going to bounce back. And I think Penix is going to have a good game. And I think Washington covers. Michigan, Penn State, Michigan, four and a half point favorite on the road at Penn State. I think Michigan has stolen all the signs this year, and they don't uh, stop now. Michigan rolls at Penn State and covers the four and a half. I agree. I'm with you. Um, And that does it for the national outlook. Before we transition to cover our games, let us thank our sponsor, Brown O'Haver. Brown O'Haver is a public insurance adjusting firm. They work for the insured, not the insurance company. So if you've had a loss to your home or your business, either from fire, wind, theft, tornado, anything that requires you to file an insurance claim, please give Brown O'Haver a call, 405-735-5510. They work for you, not the insurance company, to be your adjuster in the adjustment of claims to make sure you get more money from your claim and you get that more money more quickly. Give Brown O'Haver a call with any of your insurance Claim questions, 405-735-5510. Kevin, let's start with the Oklahoma Sooners hosting West Virginia. West Virginia is 6-3, and 4-2 and two in Big 12 play. Um, a couple of – two of their losses aren't bad, Penn State and Oklahoma State. And then they had Houston on that really weird Hail Mary play at the end of the game where they had come back and win it. I think they're a pretty solid team. Um, Offensively, they're third in the Big 12 in rushing, 14th in passing, a terrible passing team. Ninth in overall offense, defense, fourth in total defense, fourth in passing defense, sixth in rushing defense, pretty good rushing defense. They're led by Garrett Green at quarterback. Um, Not great numbers passing as indicated by 14th overall with only 10 touchdowns against two interceptions, a QBR of 74. 53% 53% completion percentage. But what he doesn't do with his arm, he makes up for with his legs. 76 rushes, 427 yards, 5.6 yards per carry, eight touchdowns for the quarterback. 
Their running back, C.J. Donaldson Jr., 147 carries, 676 yards, and nine touchdowns on the year. Kevin, this is a run-first West Virginia team. They play good defense, and they run the ball. Not a great um, – not a great – what's the word? Matchup for Oklahoma. Although OU's been okay against the run, if they want to take the ball out of Oklahoma's hands, control the clock, and play good defense and run the ball, it's a pretty good recipe for success against Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, first of all, give them credit, right? Because Neil Brown was on a – his seat was getting pretty pretty damn hot before the season started, right? There was talk well, that they might have fired him last year. If he, if he hadn't beat Oklahoma – let that sink in. Yeah. If he hadn't beat Oklahoma, yeah. they probably would have fired him. But he beat Oklahoma in uh, – um, uh, oh, my mind's gone blank. Where, where does West Virginia Morgantown. play? Morgantown. In Morgantown, yes. They beat they – be, oh, my gosh. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I remember that was a pretty frustrating game for you guys. Um, and Gary Green was their quarterback last year, if I remember correctly, um, for that game. But, I mean – if you look at the numbers, right, and I know numbers aren't everything, but I mean, 53% completion percentage for their quarterback. Their top running back, C.J. Donaldson, yes, he has 676 yards rushing, but 4.6 yards a carry, right? No one doesn't strike fear, shouldn't strike fear into your defense, right? I feel like this is a game you guys should win. I think you should win it comfortably. Kevin? Here's the here. I would I agree with you that we should win the game, but this is exactly the story that I said I talked about with Oklahoma State. Okay, and I said, listen, we make Bowman pass and don't turn him into Joe Montana. We win this game. Going into the game, he only had eight touchdowns against five interceptions. Bowman had a fifty nine point zero QBR through eight games. Kevin, he freaking went off. He looked fantastic. He, he looked fantastic in the first half. He was zipping balls around. He was throwing to open receivers. He was throwing to covered receivers. He looked really, really good in that game. If we allow Garrett Green to have any success with his arm, which he hasn't all year, and then continue to have sex with, success with his legs, we're in trouble, dude. We're in trouble. Now, am I a little bit snake bit from the last two games? Am I a little bit down on it from the last two games? Sure I am. But the formula is still there for West Virginia to go ahead and beat Oklahoma. Yeah, you only... can't let him – yeah, no, 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 I'm just saying you, you can't let him get loose running the football. That's what would really scare me if Texas was playing against West Virginia. This guy cannot get loose. 5.6 yards a carry. That's pretty good average for a quarterback and eight touchdowns. Him with that zone read, you know, you guys are an aggressive defense. So he's going to fake that handoff and then keep it. If you guys don't pain on the edge, it could be a big game for him. So guys are going to have to play play hard, but don't play with too much emotion because that kind of gets you out of position, and that's what leads to those big plays. The biggest thing for – the keys for Oklahoma to win the game, just don't turn the ball over, dude. Don't turn the ball over. If we don't give them two or three additional possessions – and additional opportunities to win the game and take away two or three opportunities from our offense, we're going to win this game. It's at home. We're the better team with the better quarterback. 
with the crowd behind us, if we don't turn the ball over, we're going to win. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case the last two weeks. Now, the last two weeks we're on the road. This is at home. We'll see if that makes a difference. Number two, the running game. Levy has been much maligned. I have been on the bandwagon of the alignment of Jeff Levy. However, forget about it. It's a new game. It doesn't matter. What happened last week doesn't matter. But starting this week, Jeff Levy, this is a plea from John with the Boomer Bevo podcast. Will you please run the damn ball? You have got Gavin Sawchuk, who averaged 8.4 yards a carry against OSU. You've got Tawi Walk, who averaged 7.2 yards a carry. You only gave him the ball 21 times. You're at home. Will you please run the damn ball? And if, in the event, you get a fourth down play, or hell, even a third down play, will you please call a play that goes past the sticks when we try to pick it up? That's the only thing I'm asking of you, Jeff. I know you can do it. The rest of your offensive stats are fantastic. If you looked at just at your offensive stats, you would make the argument, some would make the argument, we have the best offensive coordinator in the country. The reality is, Mr. Levy, that's not the case because you continue to do some very questionable things throughout the course of a game. So in this game, I'm going to make it really, really simple. Run the damn ball with Gavin Sawchuk and Tawi Walker. Number two, on third and fourth down plays, run plays that get you past the line to, past the line to game. Please, 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 please. Kevin, what am I missing in keys to success for Oklahoma? No, no, I think you're spot on. Definitely don't turn over the, the ball. And, yes, run run the ball. Your offense, again, we've talked about this since you guys hired Jeff Levy. Run, run, run to set up the play action with the deep shots. Right? The receivers, I think your receivers have been pretty good. Farouk's having a good season. Stoops had maybe the best game of his career against Oklahoma State last week. So it's all there. Right? Really, with Levy, is this a situational play calling? We talked about, we went deep on talking about that fourth down play, that quick out on fourth and five. That is not a fourth and five play. You know, I don't care what Jeff Levy says. You cannot call that play on fourth and five. It's fourth and one. It's a great play call. It would work and get the first down. It was never going to work on fourth and five. So just situational stuff like that. And yes, please lean on your running backs. You've got the talent there. The offensive line is good. You got good tackles. Do um, that and keep and just win the time of possession. Quit leaving your defense out there for half the game, for more than half the game. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, we got to contain their run game. Contain, contain Garrett Green. We've done a pretty good job with dual threat quarterbacks this year. We got to keep it up. Although we did let Bean, Jason Bean, get out for us on a big run, which was really a kind of a backbreaker up in up in Lawrence. So let's contain the quarterback. Speaking of containing the run game, looks like we're going to have Danny Stutzman back. I do think Kip Lewis and Kobe McKenzie have done great. I think it puts Canick in kind of a awkward situation. I don't know that we're going to see Canick start this game. It's going to be that's you know, going to be. An, go ahead. Yeah, it makes me wonder that, right? I was thinking that the same thing. Do you see Kip Lewis and Stutzman out there? But well, does Kip Lewis know Canick's position, right? Because I know Kip Lewis was in for. Well, yeah, but Kobe. But Kobe McKenzie had seven tackles, too, against Oklahoma State. He didn't look okay, too bad. So are you thinking Stussman and McKenzie at linebacker? Well, to your point, I, I in a perfect world, if they both knew the positions, Stutzman and Lewis, right? I mean, yeah, we would agree Lewis those is, are of the yeah, four linebackers. Yeah, he seems to be more of an impact guy. Yeah. He, just, he makes more of a – you notice him. You don't really notice Kanek as much. 
Of the four linebackers, those are the two best linebackers. So if they know the positions, that would be ideal. The thing is, it's just going to be really interesting. Real quick, and then we'll get to the University of Texas. Well, we'll pick this game to get to the University of Texas. Okay, look. I'm a homer. I'm a huge homer. And I'm a Danny Stutzman homer. But is there a world that exists where he doesn't make the Buckus finalist award list or even the semifinalist award list? Did they just – what happened there? These guys who vote on a lot of these awards, I don't think they really watch the games. And I think these things end up being lifetime achievement awards for guys who they just have known for years. Now, we've known about Stetsman, right? I told you about him in the 2021 Texas game that I thought he was really good. He's a true freshman out there making plays, right? But, yeah, we've seen this before. Like, like the Thorpe Award, for example, right, goes to the nation's best DB. I remember back in, I think it was like, oh, eight, right? And I thought Eric Berry was by far the best DB in the country that year, and they gave it to Malcolm Jenkins, who had had a great career. Yeah. He was a senior that year. The next year, in 2009, and again, I'm biased, but I thought that Earl Thomas was easily the best DB in the country that year. And then that year, they gave it to Eric Berry. Right? Yeah. So it's like... Was he, the kid out of, was he the kid out of Tennessee? Yeah. God, he was yeah, good, Superstar though. City Hall. He was so cool. good. But, I mean, he cool. was better in 08 than he was in 09. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because they got a new, that's when they got Lane Kiffin there. The defense is a little bit different. So he didn't make as many plays as he did in 08. So, you know, these guys voting on it, I don't know if they watch the game. But yeah, I was very surprised not to see him uh, on that semifinal. Well, I, listen, I'm sure you're right about watching the games. But, dude, we're talking like big noon games. We're talking about games against Texas. Like, I, I just, I have a hard time. At, and we're not saying he's got to win it, although. I think he has every case to win it statistically. I just don't even know how he doesn't. Or is this the this was the was this the finalist list or the semifinalist list? I think it's a semifinalist. That's what I'm saying. That's just can they add him back to the finalist list? Like I don't there, think so. I think um, I think if you're not in the semifinals, you can't be in the. Uh... Well, that that is. How can he be up for the Lombardi Award, the Defensive Player of the Year Award, and not be up for his own position award? That does it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. But yeah, I don't know who um, who are the ones that are uh, doing this. I, I know um, Edwin Cooper, the linebacker from AM, who's also having an outstanding season. He wasn't even on the uh, the semifinal list either, so. Well, very Oklahoma is a 12 and a half point favorite. The over under is 58. Um, I got to tell you, I've gone, I went Oklahoma, I went uh, with Oklahoma State covering last week. I, I'm sticking with it. I'm going with West Virginia covering the 12 and a half. Oklahoma should win the game. Oklahoma will win the game, but they're not winning it by 12 and a half. I could see it being a 34 24 game. Okay. That's interesting. Again, you guys are easily the better team than West Virginia. Again, like I said, they've had a good season, but they shouldn't really even be competing with you guys on the field. I'm curious to see what the mindset of your team is going to be like. Are you still going to be focused and knowing that there's still something out there to play for? You guys aren't, like you said earlier, you guys aren't out of it in the Big 12, right? So you got to keep playing here. If you guys play and care, then I think you win and you cover. Right. 
if you don't, again, I think you still win the game, but you don't cover. Um, I don't know. I think you guys bounce back. I think you guys cover this one. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you this. If they have, if the team plays like Drake Stoops talks, did you see his answer to a question about, is there anything left to play for? No. Oh, you didn't? Oh, yeah. Well, you need to jump on Twitter because he, listen, dude, he sounded like, I don't know. It was a throwback answer. He's like, yes, I've got stuff. He goes, I play football. I'm a football player. Every game I go out there, I have something to play for. This is a game I love. I'm not quitting now. There's no quitting me and there's no quitting my team. I mean, it was a fantastic answer. He, The kid's pretty special. We talked about it. Can he be an NFL player? I don't know if he can or not, but I don't know why not. Because he seems to do all the right things and he's tougher than Man, he's tough, dude. So I, hey, I don't we'll know. see. He might. He'll probably end up in the Patriots camp. Well, Patriots the only problem camp. there is he's got Mac Jones throwing the ball to him. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you what. Listen, is there a chance? It, it's is it is there a realm of possibility where Belichick isn't as good as we thought he was? I don't know, man. He's pretty good, but I mean, maybe. You know, I I think. It didn't help his argument when Brady left and instantly won the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers the very next season. Right? Because right. you always wonder, okay, is it more the coach or is it more the quarterback? Quarterback leaves and literally wins the Super Bowl with another team the next season. So, I don't know, man. Everything seems to – man, he's old too, right? Maybe he just passed – maybe the game just passed him by. They haven't drafted well. Right, they've never been a big free agent yeah, guy. He's, they, he's the GM, though. Exactly. That, that's what's been bad for them is they they haven't missed. Now, the Christian Gonzalez kids they drafted this year, the DB out of Oregon, was having a fantastic season before he got injured. He hurt his shoulder. He's out for the year. But overall, though, they've missed on a lot of draft picks. Just doesn't look good. I mean, would you be surprised if he goes somewhere else to coach? Yes, I don't know why he you wouldn't would. be surprised. Yeah, yeah. Why, why well, would you? I, the record's there. He's almost he's close to breaking Don Shula's record for all time wins. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. So that's why he still wants to coach. I just wonder if it's just time to time for everybody to move on, right? I don't know. Nothing lasts forever. It's not a good product. So uh, for Drake Stoops' sake, I hope he goes somewhere else. Um, I dude, listen, go go to Tampa and play for Baker. Like that would be fantastic. Yeah, Baker may uses. Utilize that slot receiver position. Uh, I think the Buccaneers do. Baker throwing to Drake Stoops. That would be every Oklahoma Sooner fan stream. Oh, you guys All right. wouldn't be able to handle it, man. Oh, God. Are you kidding me? I would fanboy out. I might actually buy a jersey. Uh, questions for Texas. We talked about this. Is this a trap game? Quinn Ewers is back. You're saying, they, you're saying yes. Uh, Jonathan Brooks, does he bounce back from the fumble um, that put that game into severe jeopardy on sun, on Saturday? Oh, yeah, man. I got 100% faith and belief in Jonathan Brooks, man. He's been one of the best running backs in the country all season long. You know, he's fighting for extra yards there, trying to get the first down. I don't know if he's fumbled at all besides that this season. It's just a horrible moment for it, right? But, no, I mean, he's over 1,000 yards already. This guy breaks tackles. I mean, he truly has been one of the best running backs in the country. It was such a huge question mark. I think everybody had questions for Texas at the running back position because you you lose a generational talent in B. John Robinson. Then you lose Roshan Johnson, who's the emotional leader of the entire football team. It's like, okay, how do you replace that? And 
I mean, he's been just as good as Bijan has. It, it's crazy to say that because he's not that kind of freakish talent that Bijan is, but he's been really good, man. And, and I'm excited for him and to see where he goes in the future. And this is a game where I think we're really going to lean on him in that running game against TCU because I think TCU is the vulnerable there. Does, where where will Book Brooks rank in Texas running backs when he's done with his career? Like, how do you rank him right now? Give me your top three Texas running backs. Let's just say everybody knows Earl Campbell's number one because he's Earl freaking Campbell. But let's start in the early 90s. Guys that we can remember. Got Ricky, well, Williams, Ricky Williams for sure. Ricky Williams. Bijan. Bijan. Yeah, uh huh. Cedric Benson, Cedric Benson, Deontay Foreman. Um, is that Deontay, the order? Well, I don't know. Jamal Charles, Ooh, yeah, Jamal Charles, yeah, Jamal Charles. And then I you like Jamal Charles Deontay over Foreman, and then Foreman's at five. I do. Yeah, um, he was just better consistently for longer. I mean, he was an impact player for three years. We kind of got a year and a half of Deontay before they he wasn't the featured back until late in his um second season. And then, of course, his – and, again, you know, it sucks for him because he was on bad teams, right? I've said yeah. this on the podcast several times. He had the quietest 2,000-yard rushing season we've ever seen. He literally rushed for 2,000 yards. The team was 5-7, and seven, so nobody knows. Nobody cares. He actually won the Dope Walker Award, though. And, again, nobody even knows. You know, you see him making plays in the NFL now, and people are asking, oh, Deontay Bowman, where, where's he from? And you know what's interesting about it? Still making plays because yeah. he's been in the league now six or seven or eight years now, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. Uh, after the after the twenty sixteen season, he's been in the NFL since. Yeah, twenty three. Yeah, that's seven years. Uh-huh. Yeah, so which is a lot for a back. Okay, all right. So there's your five, right? Easy, that's a very easy answer. It sounds like Ricky Williams, Bijan Robinson, Cedric uh, Benson, Cedric Benson, Jamal Charles. Deontay Deontay Foreman can Brooks overtake the either of those five and get into the top five of this century it depends on how long he stays right because he's a sophomore but he's a retro sophomore so he's technically draft eligible after this season oh so he could go so he can go and if you're a running back you go why would you not go? You go. You got to go. I wouldn't go. be mad at him at all. Yeah, you got to go when you can go. As soon, I mean, as, to me, with any player in any position, as soon as you can get paid to do it, you got to do it because the window is just so small to play football in general. Yeah, and you're just not going to – you're not going to – at the running back position, you're not going to significantly increase your, your draft stock. Correct. You usually don't see guys, especially if you're a starter the year before. If you're a starter as a sophomore or a junior, yeah, your draft stock usually is not going to skyrocket if you come back as a senior. And you are who you are at that point. Because what would he go? Would he go second or third round right now? That's what I would think. I think he would go second, third round probably. Yeah, so, dude, he could go. You're right. And, you know, that's kind of the interesting part about the portal interesting part about um is that you just don't get the longevity of of players at at a school and and i guess his bigger issue though even more so was he was just simply behind b john robinson for three for two yeah years. and roshan johnson behind both so yeah. it's like every time he would play 
he would always catch her attention. But he would come in, you know, in the rare occasions, you know, because we play up and down to our competition so much. In the rare occasion that we were blowing the team out, he would come in and he would always make an impact play. But it was just very rare. So now we weren't sure how he would do as a feature back, and he's been better than at least I can't speak for every Texas fan, but he's certainly been better than I thought he could be. What's TCU's running defense like? Is this a game where he can go off against TCU? I think on the it road? is. I think it is. And then also, you know, we've got the freshman CJ Baxter who's having a good season too. Um, he's been banged up for the majority of the season, but he's back and healthy. He has that big run um, on the fourth down where we kind of all packed in. Like we're going to do a quarterback sneak, do a little option pitch to him. He broke one tackle and was pretty much shot out of a cannon and took it to the house. So um, we also have him I'm pulling up TCU's um, – TCU stats. I don't know if you have them there, but let me get them real quick uh, to show what they're about on defense. I just think this is an opportunity for Texas to um, to go on the road. Um, I mean, dude, look, I, I, you could make the argument you could have beat TCU last year, right? Oh, so absolutely. That- yeah, we've had a great defensive performance. Against yeah. them last year, but we couldn't get, we didn't go, we didn't score a touchdown. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think you could make the argument that I think you could make the argument that this is an opportunity for Texas to go on the road. I just, I, I do worry about getting up after that K State game. Um, but do you, you've got to, right? I mean, this is it. You're, you're, Texas hasn't been in this position in years, years to say that they uh, that they are in a position to control their own destiny, not just for the Big 12 championship, but for the college football playoff. They went out there in the playoff. There's just no there's no two ways about it. They went out there in the playoff. They control their own destiny. They have to get up for this, right? Can Sark is Sark yeah. the guy to get them up for this game? Yeah, they have to be. They have to be. Every every game is considered a championship game at this point, right? And you have a talent advantage over everybody you play for the rest of the season. So the biggest opponent is yourself. And just go make it happen, man. Right? TCU, they're going to be up for it. So we got to be up for it. Right? Coach Sark, one thing he says is we're getting everybody's best shot. We got to make sure that they get ours, too. You know, and I thought it's so that K-State game was so interesting, man, because I thought we were by far the better team. We just had that crazy span where they get a touchdown. We come out, we throw the interception, they score a touchdown. We come back, we fumble, and they score a touchdown. They scored 20 points in four plays. Yeah. In literal four plays. Yeah. So it was just kind of a bizarre sequence there. Besides that, I mean, killing uh, Kansas State. We were running all over them. We're throwing on them. Stop they couldn't them. run the ball Stop at them. all. Yeah. Your defensive, yeah, your defensive line was lights out. Lights out. And they have a yeah. great running game, and they have, what, 38 yards rushing for the whole game. So, yeah, listen, if they play like they did against K-State besides the turnovers, I think it's a game that they win and they should win comfortably. I'm a little bit – their offense does have the uh, ability to make some big plays. Their running back, the, the Bailey kid, Amani Bailey, he transferred from, I think, Louisiana. He's been good for them. We talk about Jonathan Brooks. Stats-wise, it's not much different between them. He has 908 yards rushing uh, for them. So far this year, Chandler Morris is actually their second leading rusher, but apparently he's not going to be playing. At least the coach is saying that he's not going to be playing. I don't know. 
I wouldn't be surprised to see him out there. No, mm-hmm. he's actually been a pretty good player for them. He's oh, he's been their best quarterback. You know, we can't compare him to Duggan, who they had for years, right? But what is he? Um, one thousand five hundred thirteen yards, the twelve touchdowns, the five interceptions. He's only played in six games because of um, because of his injuries. I think he's definitely better than Hoover, the other kids that they've been playing in his absence. So I don't know, man. I think it's going to be a test for us because they still have the ability to make big plays on offense. And, you know, there are some weaknesses that Texas has, especially against the pass. If they're going to exploit that, Texas could be in a little bit of trouble. But this is a game where I really want to see us control the ball, running it, and then take our shots off of play action. And Malik Murphy did a really good job of that. He throws a good deep ball, better deep ball than Quinn. But Quinn does all the underneath stuff and sideline throws good. So I'm excited to have him back. I mean, here's the deal, right? TCU's four and four. They're not very good. This is just a situation where if Texas wants to be who they want to be, they have to go out and just – they need to go, go win the game. They got to go cover the game, right? The game – what did we say that spread was in this case? It's, it's real similar to the Oklahoma game. It's 11 and a half points. Yeah, you I mean, know, honestly, is, I think it may have gone up. I don't know. When did you did you check that today? Uh, yeah, that was this afternoon, about five thirty. Oh, okay. I can double. Okay. I, can double so check I heard that. it had gone up because of the news. Once the news about Quinn Ewers being back, well, let's um, check and see if that's changed. What time's that game? Um, it's six thirty. Yeah, DraftKings does it by game time. So hold on, give me a second. Yeah, I want the most accurate line here for. You say using DraftKings, right? I use DraftKings, yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Nope, 11 and a half still. 11 and, 11 and a half. half. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I got, I, I, if I, I'm picking this game, I, I just think Texas is playing better. They're playing with confidence. They're going to be fired up to have Quinn Ewers back. Brooks is running the ball well. TCU is not very good. It is on the road. I'm going to take Texas to cover the 11 and a half. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Um, again, it wouldn't surprise me if this game ends up being 31-27. But I'm going to show some faith, and I'm going to pick them to uh, to cover the spread against TCU and get one step closer to potentially playing for the Big 12 championship for the first time since – we're playing for it for the first time since 2018, but I'm mean, just since 2009. Really, the only way Oklahoma gets the Big 12 championship is Texas losing. So, yeah. OU fan is pulling for Texas, like I mean, pulling against Texas like crazy over these next three weeks. I just don't know that I see a loss on your schedule, right? You got TCU, Tech, and Iowa State. So, so at TCU this weekend, Iowa, at Iowa State, Iowa State I'm not can be the game. That. Iowa State could be the game to watch. I don't think it's this week. I don't think this is the week we're worried about it. Iowa State is the game we where Oklahoma fan becomes giant. Well, first of all, we got to beat West Virginia, but Oklahoma fan becomes ginormous Matt Campbell fans again because yeah, that's the game that that, that Oklahoma could time, have a chance to to backdoor into that. And guess what time that one is? Eleven a.m. No. Oh, it's no, a night game. Too much. Of course it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, besides, I think besides Houston, all of our road games have been at night. Well, don't complain, dude. Because you well, can have 11 a.m. games. Like- I just wish we got more home night games. We literally have only had one all season. Just a Wyoming game. Um, the problem... Let's see here. Oklahoma just got a kickoff for the. No, it's a hold still. Oh, the, the good old six day hold. The six day hold for OU for oh, BYU Provo. BYU I'm going. Provo. Okay. Yeah, next next week we'll try to do a preview episode. We'll try to get Joe Young on there for all you OU fans. We'll talk about places to eat, places to go, what you need to see when you're in Provo and Salt Lake. Um. I was. Uh, I really need West. I really need us to beat West Virginia. I want to go into Provo. It's a lot of money and a lot of time, and it's going to be really cold going to Provo. So I want there to be at least a little momentum going to that game to try to make this thing fun. Especially if we can find out that Texas is going up against Iowa State, there could be a lot to play for next Saturday. There's a lot to play for this Saturday, so we got to take care. Of, I, I'm not going to look at it. We got to take care of business this Saturday, uh, Kevin. What else you got for us? Got any uh, update? You've been to a lot of NBA games over the last couple weeks. Uh, give us an update on how you think the Thunder look how and, and how your Spurs look. All right. Well, starting with the Thunder, I think they look I mean, Shea is continuing to build off his first team All-NBA season last year. Lou Dort looks great. Chet Holmgren, the rookie, he looks outstanding. Um, Josh Giddy, his season is going a little bit interesting so far. I think kind of up and down, presence, up and down. Yeah, I think the presence of Chet has kind of thrown off his role um, a little bit. And there's a guy who I really love, Kaysen Wallace, rookie out of Kentucky. Um, I think you and I may have talked about him before the season. When they drafted him, this guy is an instant impact player defensively, right? He's, I think he's already one of the best defensive guards in the NBA, just after six games. And I heard the coach say in one of his press conferences, like, we trust him to guard anybody in the league. Like, no matter well, who we match him up against, we trust him. He was, guarding, he was guarding Devin Booker last – not Devin Booker. Um, a De- yeah, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell. I'm sorry. He was guarding Do- yeah. Donovan Mitchell last night, and him and Lou Dort held him, you know. Correct. And then, you know, when you've got those two guys guarding those two point guards that they have, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, who I am a big fan of. But, man, yeah, they couldn't get going at all against those two. So, yeah, it, it's – I think it's going to be a great season for them. Um, Jeffrey, your son, and I, we talked about them potentially finishing fourth, top four in the Western Conference. It would be great for such a young team. Uh, and your Spurs, how's women Yama doing? You know, I think he's been great, too, averaging 20. Um, I don't know if you saw last Thursday when – Went to Phoenix, played against the Suns. He had 38 points going up against um, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. They couldn't handle him, man. He was doing a little bit of everything. He was showing inside game. He was showing three-point range. Of course, he's influencing shots defensively, blocking shots defensively. He's got great range. He's an alien, man. So the future is bright. The team is not great. I don't think they're going to be great this year. But the future is extremely bright for him. And the Spurs. Um, you know, my brother um uh, brought this up to me that we hadn't talked um Bobby Knight passing away on the podcast. 
Do you have any thoughts on Bobby Knight passing away? You know, he was an interesting guy, right? He's an interesting, interesting guy. Always kind of seemed like a bully. He's a great coach, though, and his players seemed to seemed to really like him. Right? The, ones that got, so, the ones that got choked and punched in the face seemed to yeah, like him. See, maybe, yeah, maybe not those guys, right? So, um, you know, I'm never going to be a, supporting a coach putting his hands on a player. But, um, I mean, guy had a lot of success. Well, I I think I think that Bobby Knight is a uniquely American story. Okay. And I say that because I think that only in America could somebody that acts like that be portrayed um in a positive light. Okay? So what happened with him is that a very popular book was written called The Season on the Brink by John Feinstein, who's a who has is a very, very good sports journalist, right? He Long is. form sports journalist. Some of some of the best sports books ever have been written by John Feinstein. So he wrote Season on the Brink, where he covers Bobby Knight the year before they win the national championship in 1987. So he's with them the 85 and 86 season. And what happens is the release of that book coincides with Indiana winning a national championship in 1987, right? So you get these two things and and you get an inside look at who Bobby Knight is. And Feinstein kind of paints the picture that he's, he's prickly, he's an SOB, he's rough, he's rude, he's gruff. But deep down, there's like at his core is a, a moral code and a sense of, of doing the right thing and taking care of the people that need taken care of, right? Helping the kids in the hospital, doing making sure they, they got the tickets, doing all the stuff that coaches are supposed to do, that all the coaches do, right? And so he gets elevated to this like pedestal because you've got the popular medium of the book combined with the winning. And so the winning whitewashes everything. If you win in America, doesn't then you win. You it doesn't yeah. matter what you do. You're a winner. Um, Kevin, he was an asshole. Like he really was. Yeah. Like if you look at him in, th- th- there's been a lot of press conference, and I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but there's been a lot of press conferences that, are, that, that have showed up on Twitter and stuff like that. Dude, he was obscenely rude to the press. Hey, the bully. Just, just straight up. Just straight up. And, you know, it, I, I always got frustrated, and I still do as an adult, get frustrated with leaders that expect a certain level of behavior and a certain uh, code of ethics to be followed that they don't have to follow. Yeah. Right. I want you to be respectful and you're going to work hard and you're going to do this. And you're going to do that. and You're going to dress appropriately and you're going to do, I don't have to do any of that, but you've got to do it. You know? And I just, I've never liked that. And I think what's unique, not what's unique, but what's um, significant about it is there's not a lot of other Bobby Knights out there. In, in a world of sports, which is often filled with um, copycats, right, to try to be the next whoever that is, next Belichick, next Saban, next this, next that, there really was not another night. And I think it's because he's the only one that had the ability to get away with acting like that. Because anybody right. else that acted like that was like, okay, I'm not putting up with it. Uh, correct. Correct. Yeah, it was interesting, you know, because – I remember his late Indiana days as a kid. And then 
Of course, I remember when he went to Texas. And it was always interesting playing against the scene. And you watch just to see his antics on the sideline. You know, was he going to throw a clipboard? Was he going to break something? So, yeah, interesting guy. Absolutely a bully. Had success. And that, like you said, that's why he got away with all that. Because at the end of the day, he won two national championships at the University of Indiana. Three. Three. Excuse me. Yeah. He won one in the 90s, too. Um, Tom Bertani, right? Yeah. Who yeah, was that on the team, right? Was it? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah no, listen, he was it, – it's just uh, – I don't know. It's just unique. It's fascinating. I, I, you know, not necessarily pertinent to the Boomer Bebo podcast, but me and my brother had that conversation today, and I just thought it was really interesting that we hadn't talked about it. I wanted to get your perspective on it because I always like hearing that. All right, well, we've gone a little long tonight, but that's okay because we're having fun. It's a Boomer Bebo podcast. Kevin, uh, we'll be back with episode 88 on Sunday. I will be in Dallas, Texas, so we might be coming out a little bit late with that, but we'll see. We'll get it out as quickly as we can. Um, Kevin, enjoy the football. Clearly a great slate of games. It's going to be over before we know it, so you better enjoy it. Have a great evening. Boomer! Welcome.